0: So yeah. one of the things that I talk to startups about all the time, I'll say, what problem are you solving? And then I'll say, what are your one or two biggest assumptions? So I want to understand what do they think is the most critical thing? Because I find assumptions live or die based on one or two critical assumptions. And I really want to understand. And then I want to understand, how are they trying to de-risk that assumption? So that's another, uh, those are kind of the two key questions. A couple other questions quickly that I'll ask if I want to trip them up. How'd you come up with your pricing? That's a especially like B2B companies. What's your go-to-market strategy? Most people don't even understand what I mean by that. Um, And then the other thing I'll ask that's a a question, a very go-to question for me, that I can pull the rug out from most startups is...
1: Hello, dreamers and action takers. Welcome to another episode of the Want Money, Got Money podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani. And my guest in this episode is Steve Barsh. Steve is the managing partner for Dream Adventures. Dream Adventures is a US-based venture capital and an accelerator. They have had some really interesting startups such as House Party that was earlier acquired by Epic Games. They have a long list of startups, pre- you can say over 320 startups that have gone through Dream Adventures. Dream Adventures mainly invests in secure tech, health tech, and urban tech. So today In this episode, Steve is going to share some of his wisdom and some of his knowledge from the perspective of a VC. So, for example, the type of questions that VCs ask startups and founders and what he sees as a key difference between good entrepreneurs and great entrepreneurs. So, lean in and listen to this episode of the Want Money, Got Money podcast. Welcome, Steve. It's great to have you here. I've been following you on LinkedIn and a few other social channels and on YouTube and really enjoying all your content. Can't wait to hear more about it. For our audience, can you please tell them a bit about what you are doing these days and, and a bit more about Dream Adventures?
0: Sure. My name is Steve Barsh. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm one of the managing partners at Dream Ventures. A uh, quick background is kind of computer science and software engineering. I've been a serial entrepreneur my entire career. Uh, the last five years have been at Dreamit, really more of a venture capitalist these days and really helping to build Dreamit and build startups that go through Dreamit's program. So Dreamit is both a VC firm that's based in the U.S. on the East Coast of the U.S. in New York and Philadelphia um, we're both a VC firm and we also run kind of a pre-investment program. So we have companies go through that we put them through the paces, help add a lot of value by getting a lot more customers, among, customers on board, getting them in front of a lot of investors, um, really helping grow those startups and then investing in them. Um, we focus on pre-series A companies and two specific verticals we really focus on a lot these days are health tech and secure tech.
1: Yep. Um- how did you guys choose health tech and secure tech? Is that is that where you see the most opportunity or, or is that something that you guys already had a lot of expertise in?
0: Um, uh, Good question. Kind of, well, both. We're, we're secure, excuse me, where health tech came from, from Dreamit, health tech started in Dreamit about seven or eight years ago. And there was a thesis put around it, a, a we believe kind of statement. What do we think is going to happen? It was when, in the U.S. in particular, electronic health records and medical systems really started becoming prevalent in large hospitals. And I wasn't at Dreamit at the time. There were other people that had this idea and thought, you know, if there are going to be all these systems that are collecting tons of information about patients, what's the, what's the data exhaust that's going to come off of those systems that creates an opportunity for startups? So it was a very early thought that all this data is suddenly going to be out there, and there's going to create opportunity for startups to kind of glom on, process that data, and do interesting things. So that was the start of Dreamit Health Tech. The thought was a lot of interesting data. It's a really big problem. Health is a really big industry. We thought there's a lot of opportunity, and we still feel that way today within health tech. We focus on two specific areas. We focus on both digital health and also medical devices. Very tech-enabled mm-hmm. medical devices. So that's that's kind of the thesis of health tech. Secure tech. We started about two years ago similar type of thinking security problems in corporations and companies around the world are huge and not going away. The problems get uglier by the week. Um, It's a big opportunity. It's a really big problem as you know, you're a founder, Sam, right? You always want to tap on a really big pain point. What's the pain? When you talk about things like health and security, they are big pain points for people and organizations, right? And they're also big pain points for startups because startups find it kind of difficult. How do you navigate these complex Ecosystems of corporate partners or healthcare systems, and how do you build companies? So, we saw opportunities in particular in those two big verticals.
1: Yep. That is so true. I'm not sure if you are aware, but in Australia and New Zealand, uh-huh. um, in yep. the last month, so many businesses have been attacked by ransomware, and people are paying, <laughs> I don't know, what do you call them, bounties or money to? Sure. Have- yeah, in yeah. Bitcoin, yeah, the
0: oh, ransom, yes. they call it ransom. Yeah, ransom, <laughs> right. pretty much ransom. Yeah, yeah. they
1: are paying yeah. ransom for, yep. Um. so even the like New Zealand Stock Exchange, the health departments, everything yep. has been affected over the last month and they're getting right. more and more um, advanced. As they get more resources from the ransom, they are, right. um, and I, I'm sure it would be same in your
0: part of the world that it, it is getting more question. of a headache. Um, it's more headache and an interesting note, by the way, when you look at the security side of things, right? Yeah. A lot of times it can be teenagers that are just trying to hack and get an information, but sometimes they're state-based actors, right? Yes. It's a country yes. attacking a corporation and something that somebody taught me a long time ago that I think it's really interesting. If you had a physical property in New Zealand and yes. somebody from Iran or China or whatever- yes. Was literally trying to break your doors down and get in, right? The FBI, well, in the United States, yeah. it would be the FBI. Law yeah. enforcement would be there at the door trying to stop them. When it's yeah. computer crimes, there is no law enforcement. Like, you're a corporation, you better defend yourself. Nobody's coming to the rescue to help save you. Exactly people. right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. and then quickly, in, in secure tech and what we do, it's mostly 80% of the companies we deal with are cybersecurity and they're really interesting companies, but we go much wider than that. We mm-hmm. go to things like anti money laundering, counter fraud, um, physical security. How do you keep a building secure? So we call it secure tech. It's wider than cybersecurity. It's kind of cool. Like we have a company that went through and we invested in Dreamit that scans packages for poison coming into an organization or bombs coming in, but it's not x-ray. It's a different technology. To that's still secure tech.
1: Yep. Makes sense. You also Mm -hmm. mentioned about something like an um, incubator. So how Mm -hmm. does that work? Is it a bit like, you know, Techstars stars or five hundred startups or Y Combinator or something like that. It's
0: it, it's a little bit. It's different. Look, we started in that world. Dream it started ten years ago. You know, and you know, we'll give you twenty five thousand dollars for six percent of your company, and then yes. fifty thousand dollars for seven percent. We used to do all of that. We stopped doing it a couple of yes. years ago for several reasons. One of them was we we wanted to move to a little bit later stage companies. So all the companies that come into Dream it are pre Series A. You know, I'd say maybe half of them bootstrap their way to where they are another half have already raised their friends and family or maybe a small seed round but we moved a little bit later because it was a little more interesting like to get into Mm -hmm. dream it today 90 percent of the time you have to have a product you have to have product ready not just an mvp but like product and maybe a little bit of sales early trials that type of thing but you're just getting ready to kind of launch the product and, and make revenue and really, if we offered companies $120,000 for 7% of their company, no smart entrepreneur would take that deal. That no means way. their pre-money valuation is around $2 million. That's a horrible deal. Yeah. So we stopped. So we still do the early stage, work with the companies, work very intensely with them. But we changed our offer structure dramatically, really dramatically, because it, it's a little bit of an IQ test. The dream, Somebody who would take that offer like probably isn't going to be a dreaming company because it's, it's a really poor valuation. So we still, in a sense, you can think of it a little bit like an accelerator, that we really accelerate the growth of companies. But also what we do is we work with them before we make the investment. So we get investment rights. A company comes in, we go, they go through Dream It, we really beat the crap out of them and their decks and we pressure test. And you said you watch yes. us on YouTube, you watch the Dream It Dose, all that yes. dream it dose type thinking. We love to give away to entrepreneurs and startups around the world to help everybody. It's a lot of that same type of thinking where we pound on these models and we pound on the entrepreneurs to make the company stronger and better. So we do do that. We get them in front of a lot of investors, a lot of uh, customers. So we do that before we invest, right? So we want to prove the value, show what we're doing. They get to know us. We get to know them. We invest later on. We don't invest upfront anymore. So it it's yeah. has some of the, seems a little bit like an accelerator, but we almost call it a little bit more like a pre-investment program. Yep, um, do founders have to pay for this program? So they don't pay in cash. We get a little bit of equity in the company when they yes. go through because Dream it's a heavy lift, right? If you go through yeah. Dream it Health Tech, the Dream it Health Tech team. You were saying, by the way, one of your questions earlier on, Sam was, you know, did you do that? Did you do what you do in health tech because you you were experienced in that? The health tech team is three yes. people that are very experienced in building health tech companies. The managing director has built five health tech companies himself and exited four out of the five with successful exits. So these are very experienced. So when a company goes through Dreamit and spends about six months with us, it's a very heavy lift for us. So there's a very small amount of almost like kind of like advisor equity that we get in the company. And more importantly, we get an investment right. We have a fund. We want to write checks. We want to invest. It's the investment right that we get so that and that that advisor equity by the way in a sense advisor equity right if the company's not successful it's going to be worthless to us but at the end of it so we're very aligned with entrepreneurs and at the end of the day we want the investment right because we want to write basically half million dollar checks into every one of these companies that's going through treatment once they get through the program they know more about us we know more about them we've added tons of value
1: yep Would love to know a bit more about what type of cohorts do you get? Is it a bit like Y Combinator where, you know, over half of the entrepreneurs are overseas-based and who would, these days, they don't stay in U.S., they go back to their home countries to continue? Or is it all just U.S.-based?
0: So the the vast majority of companies that go through Jimit these days are both U.S. and Israeli companies, actually. So we can take a U.S. corporate entity and an Israeli corporate entity. Um, It's a little trickier for us to work with European companies or Asian companies It's a little harder because the corporate structures, unless they have a parent entity in the United States. That's what we're looking for. YC, I don't know if they still have that complete restriction. They used to, up to a year ago, you had to have a parent company in the United States that they could kind of attach to. There's tax and legal reasons they for that.
1: They just do the Delaware C. That's what I was right. aware
0: Exactly. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. We're exactly the same thing. Create a Delaware C Corp. We're good yes. to go. It's just that the Delaware, the U.S., Delaware C Corporation structure needs to be the parent, not the child. Yes. It needs to be the, right. So we're exactly the same ways as YC from that regard. Um, what was the other part of your question? I forget. So, oh, oh where are they from? Yeah. So, so actually, if they're a Delaware C-Corp, they can be for anywhere in the world. Um, yeah. We don't do as much cohorts anymore, though. So dream it a little bit now, especially during the pandemic and everyone's remote. And We were doing this before anyway. We do kind of hybrid location. We don't feel like, well, you should move to Silicon Valley so we can get together for dinner once a week and then you're going to work remotely anyway. <laughs> um, most of our companies, um, even when we're not in a pandemic, we work with them for face-to-face for certain periods, like we do mm-hmm. two weeks of customer sprints. We do that face-to-face where they meet with customers. We do two weeks of investor sprints where they're face-to-face with investors that are in our network. Besides that, it's hybrid location. They're working usually wherever they're from in the world, whether that's somewhere else in the United States or somewhere else in the world.
1: Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, Can I, let me just- Sure, sure, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just a little bit
0: more. Yes. Um, you've been through a couple of startups, right? You, yes. You're a, you're an experienced entrepreneur. We have a lot of entrepreneurs that go through Dreamit, which is such a pleasure for us to work with, that are on their second or third startup and they choose to partner with Dreamit to build their company. I'd say average age of a Dreamit entrepreneur is 30 of a founder, 30 years old. They're yeah. not 18. They're not in the dorm. Look, we have entrepreneurs that go through Dreamit, that, like we have something at a bar and we realize they can't drink. They're all not old enough. In the United States, you have to be 21 to drink alcohol. right? Yes. Like. So they're not old enough to drink. We do have that, but I'd say the average age is thirty because they've built startups, so they're onto something. It's really deep. And my my important point is they're not moving to New York City for, from Auckland, New Zealand, or Christchurch, New Zealand, or Sydney, yes. Australia, or even the West Coast of the United States. If they're thirty, they've got two kids at home under the age of twelve. They're not moving yes. for three months. So yeah. we we made it this hybrid location so we could be wildly flexible, still add tremendous value to our companies but not force them to relocate.
1: Yep. This year, pretty much most of, I mean, people like you I've talked with, everyone mm-hmm. has made all their programs mm-hmm. like virtual. Earlier I was yep. talking with someone is, um, they've started now Silicon Valley in your pocket as an accelerator or an incubator, pretty much yeah, the same. Yeah. So they used to have physical yeah. um, cohorts and all that. And now it's mm-hmm. all, pretty much, it's, it's the same thing all around the world. Oh well,
0: yeah, you don't have a choice.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it it makes sense. You have worked with so many founders over the last 30 years. Um mm-hmm. what do you say um in your view stands out when you, you know, when you meet certain founders you know that okay, these guys are really onto it or something like that.
0: Sure. Um I would say it's a couple of things. So first of all and some of these are going to be kind of standard answers that you'll I'm sure you've heard from other people. So you know a founder's onto something, right? First of all, they've identified a really big problem or a big urgent problem, right? And they they have some evidence that the problem exists. You see so many people, yes. you know, I don't know if you know or your listeners know, is, you know, 50, the statistic is 50% of startups fail because they're not working on anything big and urgent that people really care about, right? You, yeah. I'm sure you've seen this, Sam, right? Yeah, it's they're, yeah. they're working on a solution that's in chasing a problem, but they're not sure what the problem is, but they've got the perfect solution. So when you see founders that have identified a really interesting problem that have that have a really unique insight on the problem. And I, I don't know if you've seen this or you've experienced this in what you've done in the companies you've built. I yes. love the founder where everybody else is going left and they're going right. Yep. right? Like, but what's your unique insight? Everybody, you know, everybody is saying hotels are the next thing, but then Airbnb goes to couch surfing or whatever yes. it may be. You know, somebody has this unique insight. so. When we see a founder that has identified a big problem, has a really interesting, unique insight, you know, where they're making a bet and they have a thesis, where that founder is, is, is bright and really understands the domain really well. When you talk to them about the competition, they truly understand the competitive landscape. Um, they understand the market size. They understand a go-to-market strategy and what that means. And we have like, dr- a lot of dream at Dose content around that because most people have no idea when I say go-to-market strategy what that means. Um, they're not full of crap, right? Like I joke with startups all the time or I say to people, look, don't bullshit a bullshitter. VCs and, and investors are great at bullshitting. Don't bullshit us because usually we can see right through it really, really quickly. So you know, if you ask them the question and they don't know the answer, Right. They'll say, like, it's a good question. I'm not sure. Let me get back to you. They're, they're, they're thoughtful. Um, I don't know. Those are some of the characteristics that we see or I see in, in successful entrepreneurs.
1: That is great. Super. I was taking mental notes of, yeah. Yeah, of all these things. Um, <clears throat> looking ahead over the next sort of five years or so and just being in the part of the world where you are, I'm like, there's so many opportunities because, you know, U S has always had access to market and access to capital, which Mm -hmm. are essential for any business, any startup, any company. Um, Where -hmm. do you see the opportunities lie in the next, say five years time or something like that?
0: From an industry point of view, a geographical point of view, industry point of view, view.
1: industry point of view. Um,
0: Sure. So I'm going to, I'll I'll answer that. But there's a couple other things I want to mention that you just mentioned. Um, You had said, you know, the United States has amazing access to capital. And I would agree that's generally true. But I want startups to know don't make excuses that you can't raise capital because, well, there's just not that many angels in Christchurch, New Zealand, or I'm in Auckland and, you know, yes. or I'm in Sydney again, I'm just going to pick people. Yeah, yeah sure, sure. Or I'm in Tasmania and, I'm, yes. and in Tasmania, like how many, how many VC firms are there in Tasmania? Um, because I'm a really be- big believer in meritocracy. See, yes. if I was running a startup in Auckland and I had the cure for cancer, I bet you I could get it funded. Somehow, some way, I'm going to get that startup funded. And I find a lot of entrepreneurs aren't willing to look in the mirror and honestly ask themselves, is the reason why their startup isn't getting funded because their idea kind of is not great and they don't know how to talk about it well and it's really not big and interesting? Is that the reason? Because what I would say is you can't do it right now, but, well, you could do it over Zoom, right? If you have a really big and interesting idea, you know, Canva, right? I believe that's an Australian Australian, startup.
1: yes. Yes, it is indeed. Rocking
0: it. Right, I think yes. there's another one called uh, not Zoom. Zero, but, uh, zero, zero. right? Or New Zealand yeah, startup. zero, right? Rock yeah. in the world, right? Well, yeah. well, they're in New Zealand. What are the chances? If you have something yeah. great, you can get it backed. Just have a great story and work on a big and interesting problem and, and grow that company. Um, so anyway, I just to get that out of the way. Because uh, yes. I just see entrepreneurs, by the way, in the United States, right? Capital is not evenly distributed. If you're in New York City or the Bay Area in San Francisco, yep. there's intense amount of capitals. If you're in the yes. middle of the country, in Kansas, in the middle, you know, like, well, there's yes. no capital here. Well, then get on an airplane and go pitch investors or get them on Zoom. Exactly don't, don't, right. yes. don't, you know, stop buying your fancy latte coffees every single day, give it up for a month, save 100 hundred and two hundred and $200 and, Buy an airplane yeah. ticket and go pitch investors. And if you get your clock clean, that they all say no. Maybe it's not the capital that's the problem. Yeah. Anyway, let me answer. Let me answer your question. It's now, very good advice, though. Nope. Very, very good advice. <laughs> I just I can't tell you the number of times I see startups. The reason why I can't be successful is there's not enough angels in my town. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I mean, there's some. If you're biotech or farmer and you're very capital intensive, sure, does angel funding mm. help? Absolutely. Here's what I find, Sam. You're an entrepreneur. When you know, when you see a problem as an entrepreneur, you know what you do. You figure it out, exactly. right? That's what we do as entrepreneurs. Yeah. you're like, you have an obstacle, you move it out of the way. Yeah, don't tell me your obstacle is there's no local funding. So that's going to be the end of your startup. Mm, no, nah. move it out of the way. Okay, so where do I see opportunities? I we see bigger opportunities, obviously where we invest, health tech, secure tech are big opportunities. I think there's still a lot of big opportunities applying things like AI and machine learning yes. into really like hard type of problems. And I mean, real AI and real machine learning. Every company that applies to Dreamit these days, you know, we're Bitcoin and we're machine learning and we're AI. It's like, okay, great. You're all the technology du jour, but what big problem are you solving? Um, what other big areas? You know, we've done a lot of things in urban tech. I do think that's an interesting area, property technology, those types of things. Um, I don't know. Those are the areas that I know really, really well. I still think there's lots of opportunity for disruption, for clever ways to apply technology and apply models. And the other thing I just wanted to mention quickly, Sam, is, you know, we talk about, there's a dream at Dose. that talk about how to be clever on more than one axis. You yes. had, I believe, a vitamin startup, right? Or is yes. a nutraceutical yeah. Nutri- startup? Yes, right? nutraceutical. Exactly right. right. Yes. Okay. Well, why was that? Sorry, let's flip the tables for a minute. Why was that successful, Sam? Um, Can you point to, was it one thing or maybe one, two, or three things of why that company few, was A
1: few, few different things. We yep. knew our customers really well and what mm-hmm. they wanted. Second, mm-hmm. because we knew them well, we knew how to get them. So we had customer acquisition model on lock. We had okay. better customer acquisition than any other competitor. That's why mm-hmm. we were beating okay. companies like Pfizer and other bigger players in our mm-hmm. niche. Um, mm-hmm by spending a lot less and getting a much higher return. So those would be the the two big things I would say. Okay.
0: Okay. So for your listeners, I just want to point out something that Sam didn't say. You didn't tell me about any technology advantage. You told me about a digital marketing advantage. So your CAC, your cost of customer acquisition was less and you knew your customer intensely well and you cared because you're a startup, right? So one of the things that we see is there's tons of opportunity for startups. And I just want them to think about you can be clever in, on more than one axis. And it's not yes. always just a better technology, right? Yes. It could be you're direct to consumer. You figured out how to unlock. You have some magical way. So we always talk about with startups, they like, I have a great product. And I'll be like, and what else? Like, yes. that's not enough. It's like, it's like a, we used to go out to bars and sit on bar stools. We don't all do that right now while we're recording this episode, yes. right? But it's a, it's a three-legged stool. Right, So you can be clever in more than one way. So where do we think are big opportunities? I think there's big opportunities all over the place yes. um, in lots of industries. And I just want to point out, sometimes the opportunity is coming up with a really clever business model. It's not even a technology advantage. Exactly. It's you just a distribution sorted or something exactly. else sorted. Yes. Exactly. And a lot of entrepreneurs just look at tech. And tech is just one component. And a lot of times, it's not the only reason you're going to win. Um, yeah. So anyway, just something to think about.
1: Can I add something it's like we were Please. doing um just um I haven't shared this with a lot of people we were doing um direct to consumer in the mm-hmm. pre shopify days in the uh, like 2007 it was a lot yes yes 2007 when everyone was going retail so just like what you were saying everyone is going mm-hmm. this way and you go this right. way and yeah and i was you know i was buying adwords in 2004 when no one was mm-hmm. looking at adwords in 2014 when i still had that business everyone yeah. was buying adwords and online ads and the, right. um what do you call cost per click had gone from 10 cents to 8 dollars or something like that sure. it's it's yeah. no longer um effective so at that's right. when our customers were baby boomers. Um, So Mm -hmm. we would advertise in in all these sort of catalogs and and like at 3 a.m. there's golf playing and on some, you know, random TV channel. You can get ads for $10 and reach like 20,000 baby boomers at that. Um, So it's like, Yeah, just finding those sort of things. And so for us, it was the distribution. It was the customer acquisition. It was the other things that we innovated around. And also, as you said earlier, understanding the problem that your customer have and having that empathy to understand
0: their problems. So yeah, (laughs) sorry. But But Sam, you're exhibiting another characteristic that we see in great founders. They're clever in more than one way. We found this industry in nutraceuticals, and we understand our customer intensely well, and we're able to buy and get it through distribution, and we have mm-hmm. this really unique way to drive down our cost-to-customer acquisition called AdWords. And then when AdWords started to not be as cost-effective, you pivoted to the next thing, you pivoted, and you, we see, I'll see entrepreneurs, you, you meet them, and they're like, oh, my goodness, they're just, everything they do is clever. Right? They, whenever they approach a problem, they always come up with a really kind of clever, unique approach to it. And you see that pattern and it's really interesting because you just think any wall, any obstacle that's going to get thrown up in front of them, they're going to figure out a clever way to get around it, which is kind of cool.
1: That's only one way that I found that was by testing it <laughs> because, yeah, exactly. you know, you can make all, all sorts of plans, but you know, um, absolutely. when, when you get punched in the face, every, all the plans fly out of the door and then you realize, oh, this doesn't work. You just try something else. And that's how you figure out
0: the best way. But
1: yep. Absolutely. Um,
0: and, by, and by the way, that's the way I, we run Dream it. It's a lot like that. Like, it's interesting just as a, as a side note. I don't, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but
1: uh, absolutely you know, go ahead. I, I, yeah.
0: As a, Well, let's see what I'm going to say. As an entrepreneur, the number of times I used to pitch VCs, and I, I love pitching VCs, and we have so many of our entrepreneurs that pitch VCs. And the VC would say to me, you know, as I'm sure, I, I don't know if your company was bootstrapped or you, or you pitched VCs. And by it, the way, that was all,
1: bootstrapped.
0: Perfect. And yes. I was going to say, for everybody that's listening or watching, right, please try to bootstrap your company. Don't raise venture capital unless you have to. It's a horrible Not a horrible venture capital is great for the right type of companies, but every entrepreneur they think success is, you know, how much VC money can they raise? That's not success. Um, focus on revenue first and capital second, if possible. But as a side note, I'd meet with VCs all the time and they'd sit there and say to me, Well, what makes, you know, Sam, what makes you unique? What makes you different? What's your defensibility? What's your moat? What's your intellectual property? You know, how are you gonna win? And I always wanted to hold up a mirror to those VCs and say, how would you answer that question? What makes you unique? What makes you different? How are you going to win? What's your moat? I just, I never did because I figured it wasn't a good way to get a check. It wasn't a very popular thing. But it's one of the things we think about at Dreamit all the time. I almost think of Dreamit as a startup that helps startups. And we're always thinking about just, you know, what makes us unique? What makes us different? What's our competitive advantage? What's the moat? How do we, it's kind of fun. It's like, yeah startup it's recursive you're into computer science like it's a recursion we're a startup yes. that helps startups we recurse on ourselves, and then all i wanted to say is like what you're saying is we constantly dream it we experiment you know we launch the dream it dose then we launch dream it live we don't like dream it live as much we we tuck that away and we do new things with dream it Dose. and we're always iterating and pivoting and ideating and testing 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 just like what you were saying Oh, okay. so many,
1: <laughs> so many yeah. questions as a VC, when you meet a founder, what is your sort of um, like two or three go-to questions that you like to ask them?
0: Sure. Great question. So, well, there's some go-to questions and there's some questions where I'm usually going to get them to, if I want to pull the paper, the rug out from under them and get them to trip, I'll, I'll give you both. Um, some of my go-to questions is what problem are you solving? Right. Because yeah. I, I look at that. We just did a dream at Dose where I talked about this. With, let me just back up for a moment. If, if, God forbid, somebody's in a horrible car accident and goes into the emergency, hospital, emergency department in a hospital, right? the first yeah. thing the medical care worker does is puts their fingers on their pulse, right? Yes. And feels in the neck. Of it. And if there's no pulse and the body's cold, right, there's no point.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: Don't need labs, don't need x-rays. They're done, right? That's, yeah. You've triaged the patient. So the fastest way for me to triage a startup, I know 50% of startups are going to fail because they're not solving a big and urgent problem. So one of my go-to questions is what problem are you solving and what evidence do you have that it's a big and urgent problem? That's a big, cause I can triage, I can 50% of the time. I know they're, it's probably not gonna be a great answer. And that also put, it puts guardrails in my mind. Number one, that I, I like what problem domain are we talking about? And if I don't believe they're solving a big and urgent problem, that's a, that's a gating factor for me. That's a big question. Another big question I like to ask is, what are your two or three biggest assumptions? I, I find when you started your company, when you started your podcast, you probably had one or two critical assumptions that if you're wrong, you're dead. So I always like to ask startups, what are one or two critical assumptions? And if you have a minute, I'll just explain what I mean by that. Have you ever, well, you're from, well, you live in New Zealand. Have yes. you ever gone climbing by chance? I mean, New Zealand's a big yes. one, climbing. climbing. Yes. Okay. Yes. You ever go... Rip- Ever go repelling. I'm not good on climbing. I'm not I have it,
1: done that in India and on right. the Himalayan mountain
0: ranges. This is many, so, many years ago. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Very, very important. So let's say you were yes. repelling in the Himalayan mountain range. Um, and you're there and you've got beautiful climbing shoes on. You've got your carabiner, your French yes. seat, your rope, beautiful helmet, your yeah. outfits to die for. You look awesome. That, you're halfway down that cliff that you're repelling. Let's say it's a 100-meter cliff. You're halfway yeah. down. I have a question what's the bet what do you think is the biggest one or two assumptions that that day is going to end well and you're not going to die what's the most critical assumption you've made what do you think it is so any ideas about my Honor- e-
1: equipment and that yep yeah. yeah, and 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 that my rope is strong enough to hold me and my yep. carabiners <laughs> and all those things well
0: yep. <laughs> If, yeah. the, if the rope breaks, I don't care how great your carabiner is, and I don't care your helmet, yeah. I don't care anything. Your rope breaks, you're done. So yeah. one of the things that I talk to startups about all the time, I'll say, what problem are you solving? And then I'll say, what are your one or two biggest assumptions? I'll say, what do you mean about that? I'll say, what's your rope break issue? And I find a lot of times entrepreneurs think, huh, I have to think about that. What are my one or two biggest assumptions? So I want to understand what do they think is the most critical thing? Because I find assumptions live or die based on one or two critical assumptions and I really want to understand. And then I want to understand how are they trying to de-risk that assumption? So that's another, uh, those are kind of the two key questions. A couple other questions quickly that I'll ask if I want to trip them up that I find most startups do very poorly on. And we spend a lot of time with it startups. We focus on this and most of them come in and don't have great answers for this, but we can help them. How'd you come up with your pricing? That's a, especially like B2B companies. I, yes. so the answer starts with, well, I don't know. We just thought we'd try right? How did you come up with your pricing? What's your go-to-market strategy? Most people don't even understand what I mean by that. Um, And then the other thing I'll ask that's a a question, a very go-to question for me that I can pull the rug out from most startups is, what's your vision for your startup? And they'll say, well, my vision is, um, they'll say, vision, vision. Uh, My exit strategy is that Facebook or Google is going to acquire me. (laughs) I, I, I didn't ask you your exit strategy. I asked you your vision. Like, what's the world going to look like for three to five years because you're in it? Because I want to understand, like, what are they building towards? What's this big, huge, awesome thing that they want to build? And so many founders get confused when I say, what's your vision? And they start talking about their exit strategy. And I don't care at all about their exit strategy. I want them... When you built you built a couple of companies, right? You built your your pharmaceutical, nutraceutical company, you built your uh, there was a services company,
1: your e-sports and company, and then the services right, right now. And yeah. I'm working on another startup.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And yeah, well, yeah. So and what I would say is if you build a great startup and you dominate a market and you own it and everything's working really well, you know what? The right exit's gonna come along. But don't talk to me at the start of your journey, what your exit is. I want you, if I say, what's your exit opportunity? I want an entrepreneur to say, you know what? I really don't know. And right now I don't care. I want to dominate Mm. and monopolize an industry and suck all the air out of the room. And if I do that, you know what? Maybe I'll go public. Maybe I'll get acquired. Maybe I'll acquire other people. I don't know what's going to happen. I just know Mm. if I own the industry, something good will happen. Yeah. So
1: those are and, and I solved the problem for my user.
0: <laughs> and I solved right. Yes, thank yes. you. And I solved the problem in a really intense way. And then though, by the way, once I solved that, I discovered new problems and I you know grew the yes. company and grew, which is what we see with really great dream at companies. Because great CEOs and founders like that, they just can't stop, right? They're like, well, they yeah. solved one problem, but then they see new problems to go solve for their customers, and the company continues to grow, which is a lot of fun.
1: Yep. That is so true. So look, this has been super enlightening. And yeah, um, before we go, I have just three quick questions. What is the sure. book you are reading right now?
0: What is the book I'm or, reading right or now? Or you read last. Uh, right now I'm reading a flight manual for new aircraft because I'm getting renewed in my pilot's license. That's kind of boring. That's not the question you're looking for. Um What's the? I don't know. I'd have to. Think no, that's great. High that's high
1: great because oh, yeah. it gives me yeah. an insight into, <laughs> into yeah. and yeah. listeners an insight into your into yeah. your life. And yeah. is there a podcast that you follow or that you recommend?
0: Um, podcast. Yeah, I'll tell you. There's a a podcast in the video, and I do some collaborations with him. And that would be. There's a company called Slide Bean. They're based in Costa yes. Rica, actually, of all places. And Kaya is the founder of Slide Bean. And I love what he puts out. It's yes. really, really great content. He has some really interesting startup forensics now that he's doing. Also. I know he's a. Yeah,
1: he. He's, I've he's been terrific. a part of his Discord channel for quite some time yeah. now, nearly a year. And he posts on Discord, like in his Slidebean yep. channel. And I've looked at Slidebean just to make slides and stuff. And and he yeah. has some really good content. So yes, he has terrific um, content. Yeah, I saw I saw um, Kaya's posts and stuff probably. That's how I might have um, found you. <laughs> um, right, right. No, we do some collaborations. Yeah.
0: He's, yeah. we have him on our channel. We're on his channel. We do stuff back and forth. It's a very he he's a Slide Beans a Dream company actually. So he went through Dream a long time ago. A couple with a couple of different companies. That's how we originally know each other from a long time ago. But he's a great guy. And then just random stuff I bump into. But uh, that would be I, I my was... shout out.
1: And if you had unlimited time, resources, and money, what would you work on?
0: Oh, my goodness. If I had unlimited time, resources, and money, um, I don't know. There's a, we, rare diseases. There's a lot of rare diseases in the world that we've already had an impact on, and we'd like to have an impact on more of them. Um, they're hard. They're complicated. Um, not many people care about them, so I'd spend more time on those types of things.
1: Oh, that's, that's very cool. Like, so things like, which are like one in a million people get or one in hundred thousand get or something like that.
0: It's yeah. And the funny thing is there's, there's like, I forget eight or 9,000 rare diseases. They're actually not that rare, but they're not that rare. Like one in 15 people, or I forget one in 20 people has a rare disease, but it's a massive long tail, right? There's 8,000 rare diseases. So each one has, you know, 100,000 people with the disease, and people tend not to care about them as much because it's not things like cancer, right? So they kind of fall by the wayside. So it's really interesting to come up with interesting solutions and technology for those types of situations. So
1: that's yeah, where we that's,
0: throw that's more time. Very, in.
1: very cool. Yeah, every time I talk with someone like you, it, you guys make me think about all sorts of new things, and I get to learn new things. So that's great. Um, finally, do you have a uh, ask? Um, like, are you I mean, looking a, for anything?
0: Yeah, we're always looking for great startups. That would be my yeah. ask. If you're a great startup, if you want to have office hours with us, just go to dreamit.com slash office hours. think it's office dash hours. If you want to talk to us, if you know a great secure tech or health tech startup, reach out to us. That That's the number one thing, right? We're always, it's it's really hard to get into Dreamit. Our bar is really high. But yes. um, even, you know, Even if you don't make it in, people learn from the process. They're like, it was so great to talk to you guys because I learned so much. And then for people who don't get in, that's why we keep doing Dream at Doses. Like the same thing we talk with our startups about all the time. We record in those really fast, like five minute Dream at Doses so everyone can get at the content. So that would be great.
1: Thank you so much, Steve. It was great to have you here. And thank you for for having having all your knowledge and all your wisdom. Mm My pleasure.
0: Thanks, yeah.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights that would help you in your startup or your business. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful and I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.